There are a number of Christian traditions, Mennonites, Quakers, Adventists, Moravians, who hold to a position of nonviolence or Christian pacifism and say that owning a gun for self-defense isn't a biblically supported position. They'll quote verses like Matthew 26, 52, where Jesus says, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or Matthew 5:39, where Jesus says, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. But there are other Christians who would say that the Bible permits instances of self-defense, as long as it's done with wisdom, tact, understanding, and to protect the innocent from evil. In Luke twenty-two thirty-six, Jesus tells his remaining disciples, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Some say that in this verse, Jesus upheld the right of his disciples in certain instances to defend themselves. Exodus 22.2 says, If a thief is caught breaking in at night and has struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed, which seems to indicate the right to defend private property from home invasions. So, which one is it? Are Christians to always put away their swords and turn the other cheek? Or are they permitted to own a sword and use it to defend themselves? Can a Christian own a gun? Is gun ownership a God-given right? Welcome everybody to the Beards and Bible podcast, podcast where we talk beards, Bible, everything in between. And uh, tonight I am joined not by my my usual podcasting buddy, but I'm joined by somebody new. I'm joined by my new friend Taylor. Taylor, how you doing, man? You broke up a little bit. I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Now I can. Oh, okay, cool. I was just checking in with you, just seeing how you're doing. You doing good? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing great. Well, good, good, good. Hopefully, we can get all this internet connectivity issues adjusted tonight. So, I live out in the middle of nowhere, and um, they've been telling me I'm going to get fiber internet for a very long time, and <laughs> they keep just dropping back and punning. So, who knows when I'm going to get it? But oh well, my apologies for that. If I, it's all right. If I fade out, so. You doing good tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, you um, run a YouTube channel called Defenders and Disciples. Uh, you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what Defenders and Disciples is all about? Sure. My name's Taylor. I was born and raised in Tennessee. I'm married to a wonderful woman, and I have we have three incredible children. Uh, I was in the Marines Right after high school, like three weeks after graduation, I joined the Marines. Oh, wow. And I did a five-year enlistment. After I got out of the Marines, I went to school. to um, I went to university to become a mechanical engineer. Uh, I actually went to Lipscomb University in Nashville. And um, I, I really enjoyed engineering. I really enjoyed uh, solving problems and doing all that type of work. But I still missed the military. I still missed public service and that Marshall type community. So after graduation, after getting my undergraduate degree in engineering, I did what most engineers do and I became a police officer. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I um, went to the police academy and I did that for, 
and and yeah, I, I enjoy it. I, I I love um, being a police officer. It's it's fulfilling, and um, yeah. And then actually also started my company, Defenders and Disciples, because I really enjoy teaching teaching people how to shoot. I enjoy firearm construction, and so I started a company to do that. In 2020, I started that company. And as you remember, in 2020, that's when COVID was kicking off pretty bad. And due to social distancing and ammo prices, it was very, very difficult to fill classes. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to go on YouTube and just teach the classes for free and then also help build uh, awareness of my brand. And so I taught myself how to make videos, how to do all the video editing and stuff like that, things that I never thought I would know how to do or need to know how to do. And I started making videos and, um, it's been, it's been fun. It's been exciting. Um, I've had a couple videos do pretty well. One did really well and, um, it's just, yeah, I've been a, been a learning experience. That's awesome, man. Well, yeah, that's kind of how we started this podcast. We, uh, we were on lockdown and my buddy Gabe and I were calling each other on the phone because we were bored out of our minds. And we said, Hey, why don't we talk about some of the stuff that we're talking about over the phone and record it and yeah. see if anybody wants to listen. And so there's probably a lot of podcasts and YouTube channels that started during COVID, I would imagine. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We just, uh, I, I guess we've not been able to give ours up. So we're, we're three years in. So I guess that'd be the same for you. So. That's awesome. Yeah, man. So it kind of just started for you, like just as a, you know, a passion for teaching people about firearm safety or self-defense or a little bit of both, or what was that like? All the above. Yeah. So the, obviously, like you said, the name of the company is Defenders and Disciples. And admittedly, I wasn't fond of that name at first. I had a list of names. I'm sure you guys probably had a similar experience when you're coming up with your podcast of what you're going to name it. I'm sure most people do. (laughs) Or maybe you just, maybe you just knew right away. And, um, but I wasn't really fond of that one at first. I had some other ideas rolling around. And then uh, my wife just kept telling me, like, no, I think this is actually a really good name for it. And also, like, now now I'm grown fond of it, but I also like the fact that the acronym is DAD or DAD. So a lot of the content that we talk about or I talk about, uh, a lot of it relates to firearms, firearms ownership philosophy, how to safely handle firearms. And then I just finished a series on the fundamentals of marksmanship. So it was a five video series where we talked about all the fundamentals of how to shoot a rifle accurately and effectively and safely. And uh, yeah, I just kind of go through different topics that are kind of in that, in that niche. And then I'll also try to tie in faith to that. Wow. That's really cool, man. Well, <clears throat> that's kind of where this becomes a very interesting conversation uh, for a lot of people. <laughs> um, truthfully, like, um, you know, you've seen on some of the questions I sent you earlier, there are a number of Christian traditions, such as the Mennonites, Quakers, Adventists, mm-hmm. you know, others like that, that, that would hold to this position of nonviolence or, or pacifism and would say that owning a gun for self-defense, that's not a biblically supported position. As a matter of fact, I, I posted on our Facebook kind of a, you know, sneak preview of the episode. And I had a guy reach out to me and say, Hey, uh, you're interviewing, you know, somebody that's pro gun. Why don't you interview somebody that holds this position? So I think my next interview may have to end up being that just to give both sides of the argument a a fair shake. But, um, 
Yeah. What would you say to, to somebody like that if they said, hey, listen, you're saying you're a defender that is carrying a gun and teaching marksmanship, but you're also saying you're a Christian. Those two views are not compatible. How would you answer them? Yeah. So I'm pretty familiar with some of these beliefs and I was exposed to them during my time at Lipscomb. There were some professors there that were pacifists and or just straight up anti-gun or whatever. And so, yeah, I've been exposed to some of those belief systems and what they're rooted in. And I don't believe that they're supported by scripture. Um, one thing I'll say is when it comes to pacifism is Christian or not, I would contend that most pacifists are actually pro-gun because if they happen to encounter violence, they're probably most of them, if not all of them are going to call 911 and ask for someone to come armed with a gun to possibly do violence on their behalf. Hmm. So while yes, they may not be willing to partake in violence themselves, they're willing to outsource that violence to someone else to someone else in an effort to keep their hands clean. Maybe there are some pacifists out there that wouldn't do that, but I would argue that I would say most of them, if either they encounter violence or see someone else who is ex- experiencing a situation where they would need righteous violence to protect them, I would say they would call 911 and expect that police response. Sure. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to think through it. Um, you know, what about the, the people that would say, hey, listen, if that person is law enforcement or that person is military, they have the God-given job of doing that. But as far as a private citizen, not so much. What would you would you say in terms of that? Hmm. I mean, that's an interesting response. I, I would say that, yes, we have entrusted certain members of our society with the duty of protecting and serving. However, I don't think that means that if you're not in that capacity, it's sinful or immoral or wrong for you to protect. Hmm. And also not really a, this isn't really scriptural, but getting like kind of constitutional Supreme court rulings, the Supreme court has ruled numerous times that the police, and this is going to sound really weird, but the police do not have a duty to protect and serve. Hmm. There have been numerous cases where the police did not act either due to cowardice or they just didn't they just didn't respond. And the Supreme Court has ruled over and over and over again that the police do not have a duty to protect and serve. They have a duty to uphold the laws and sometimes that does blend with protecting and serving. But in terms of just like, you know, most police departments have like on their side of their cars, protect and serve. That's not. That's not law. That's just hmm. nice that they do that, but it's right. not law. So their primary duty is to uphold the law of the land as far as they're mm-hmm. able to. And so if I'm hearing you, you're saying that we as citizens would have a responsibility to do our part to protect those that we can protect from evil if it comes our way. And owning yes. a firearm would be a plausible means to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that especially when you consider the police response times, even in the cities where they are going to protect you and serve you, those police response times, most of the time they just show up to take the report. They don't show up Mm. to actually apprehend, stop the bad guy. You know, violence takes place in seconds when police response takes place in minutes. And not only is it 
and I'll get into this a little bit later, but not only I believe we have a duty as individuals to protect ourselves and protect others through deadly force sometimes, hopefully that never happens, but I think it's a possibility, but also to protect others in other ways. So carrying medical kits, carrying tourniquets. Hmm. If you think about the Vegas shooting, if, if there were people carrying guns in that audience, they don't really stand a chance against someone in an elevated position shooting essentially machine gun fire down on that crowd. However, if you had everyone there who had tourniquets after the dust had settled, you would have had a lot more survivors because most people or a large portion of people who get shot in these incidents are dying from uh, hemorrhaging of extremities, which could be prevented by just throwing on a tourniquet. So hmm. I don't really think of it in like one dimension. I think of it like holistically, uh, holistically protecting people. I mean, even something simple and not really simple, but kind of expensive, but simple as carrying an AED in your vehicle, something that could restart someone's heart. If you see someone, pass out in a restaurant or something and have some sort of uh, cardiac issue, you can run out to your car, grab your AED if there's not one at the restaurant and save someone's life. So like in my everyday life, I carry those things on me in addition to a firearm. Interesting. Well, and here's a, here's, here's a fun fact about me. I've had to give the Heimlich maneuver four separate times. Um, Four. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So my wife is a nurse. She's never had to give it. Um, I've had to give it four separate times, twice in restaurants. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Once to my wife, she was choking on a steak while we were engaged. And then once to one of my sons. Um, wow. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Where, yeah. do, you, where do you eat? I'm going to make sure I avoid those restaurants. <laughs> or maybe you should come eat at that restaurant because you start choking. I'm there, man. I'm your guy. I heard a funny story. Um, we actually just had our annual 40 hours of in-service training and for one of the blocks of training, we had the fire and EMS come in and talk about first aid, CPR, AED, how to use the AEDs. And they talked about choking. And they mentioned one story where I think it was, um, I think it was Mission Barbecue or some some place like that. But okay. someone was choking. They called nine one one. They they responded. They were able to give this person the Heimlich, and uh, I think they may have. I don't know if they transported him or what, but the man was angry that they didn't let him finish his food. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. Priorities. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. The first time it happened, (laughs) I was at a Zaxby's and there was a guy, he's eating a sandwich in the booth behind us and he's, he's choking and I'm looking around the restaurant and nobody's doing anything. And I look over and he's like choking. I can see his face turning blue and his buddies standing around him are like trying to pat him on the back, but he's choking. And then he, I can watch him vomit, but he's like vomiting out of the sides of his mouth because I could tell something was blocking his airways. And nobody in the restaurant was doing anything. And I was like, oh, so I hopped up from the table and went over and I said, hey, can I give you the Heimlich? And he just kind of nodded and I got behind him and gave him like two or three of these just thrusts and then that Zaxby's chicken sandwich came out. And then everybody in the restaurant started clapping and everybody went back to eating their meal. And it was the most bizarre lunch of my entire life. So oh, wow. That was, that's amazing. that It worked after what, two, two thrusts? Yeah, I think that's what's crazy. And I think this kind of relates to, you know, even our topic tonight. Like the assumption I think that people had in that restaurant was that somebody else would take care of it or the guy would be okay. Yep. The bystander syndrome. Yes. And... I'm not a 
paramedic. I'm not an EMT. I learned about the Heimlich from when my wife was choking on that piece of steak and we were engaged and I asked her, do you want me to do the Heimlich? And she said, yes. And while she's choking, she's walking me through it. And so it's like, you know, I, I don't know, man. I think there, there is this uh, responsibility that we have as citizens to be aware when we're in groups of people. And, mm-hmm. and if I'm hearing you tonight, I think that's what you're saying. Firearms can be a tool that are used to defend and to keep people safe, not a, a weapon or instrument of death used to attack and invoke like revenge on enemies as a private citizen. Yeah. Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, all a firearm is, is something that enables you to enact your righteous will on someone trying to enact their unrighteous will on you. And it fires a projectile at a really fast velocity that goes into the person and stops them from doing what they're doing. It's, it's like this, the, a no means nothing unless there's a fine print that says or else. Hmm. So you can say no all day, but if there's no fine print that's like, or else I'll make you, then it really carries no weight. Right. So we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I'm already hearing the naysayers <laughs> listening yeah. to this podcast, right? That would say, okay, Taylor. Okay, Josh. You guys are talking about all the wonderful uses for firearms in the hands of responsible citizens who are looking to you know, serve the people around them. But what about all of the school shootings? What about mm-hmm. all of the horrible violence that firearms have invoked upon our nation? Shouldn't there be some sort of sweeping legislation to stop this? I mean, do people really need to go out there with AR-15s to defend the people around them? What would you say to that? I would say that I don't believe there are, I first and foremost believe in the right to self-defense. And second to that, I don't believe there's a limit on what type of firearm you can use to defend yourself. The AR-15 has received a lot of notoriety in the media over the past, you know, two or three decades. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is misguided. A lot of the news reports surrounding the AR-15, AR-type weapons are very misguided. One of my videos, Six Lies About the AR-15, this is actually the video that has over a million views because I do three lies from one side and then three lies from the other side. One of the things I talk about the first questions I ask or the, the lies I've mentioned are, is the AR-15 a serious threat to public safety and should it be banned? And a lot of the support for its banning is based on either bad data or people manipulating public opinion to make people think that the AR-15 is used more often than it is. Hmm. So, For example, I go through a list of years and the tallies of mass shooting incidents for those years. And as I'm going through the tally of years, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's in the hundreds. It's like 200 something, you know, 2019, uh, 2020, or, you know, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, uh, for the death toll 
for mass shootings every single year. And we hear that. And if you hear those numbers, you, you think like, like, how is that possible? Like, I don't remember hearing about, you know, 400 Sandy Hooks. I don't remember hearing about 400 Vegas shootings. Well, it's because their definition of what a mass shooting is, is not what most people would colloquially consider to be a mass shooting. It's gang violence. Most mass shootings are gang violence. That doesn't mean that lives of people who were killed by gang violence are any less worth than lives of people who were killed in a traditional mass or a, uh, what people likely think of as a mass shooting, but it's conflating data and manipulating the public into thinking that, oh, this AR-15 is being used in all these mass shootings. Because when most people think of a mass shooting, they think of someone using an AR-15. Sure. But most of the time, it's a Glock. Most mass shootings are committed with something like a Glock or a high point or a handgun. It's a handgun because handguns kill far more people than than rifles do in this country. Also, uh, I had someone in the comments of my videos earlier say something about because I was talking about this exact point, and they said, tell that to the dead children of the school shootings this year. And I said, I'm talking about, I'm talking about firearms ownership and how you should have a right to own something like an AR-15. And I said, tell what to them? Do I have to tell the same, do I have to tell something to the victims of DUI accidents? Do I have to tell something to them because I like to occasionally have a beer? Do I have to say something to people who are killed in swimming pool accidents because I like to go swimming? Do I have to say something to people who are killed in motor vehicle accidents because I own a car? Like where, at what point do I have to say something to these victims when these tools are used improperly? How many victims do I have to address when someone else uses a tool improperly? Hmm. And where do we draw the line with, because someone else uses improperly, now you can't use it. Yeah. You know, because a very, very small percentage of America has used this tool because I think we have more guns than people in this country. And a very, very small percentage of people use those guns for for uh, for violence, for um, unjust violence. While many, many people use them for self-defense, recreational shooting, hunting. And then ultimately what I think the most important reason for the Second Amendment is suppression of tyranny. And now some people are thinking like, oh, he believes that the, you know, the citizens are going to, rise up against the government. No, the fact that we do have guns in this country means that tyranny is less likely to happen. Hmm. So there's a lot there, but, um, but yeah, that's just kind of my thoughts on the, the right to own an AR 15 and the right to own those types of guns now. And I'm sorry not to go too much. On no, tangent, no, you're good. Tangent. You're good. This is all good. Another video on my channel where I talk about the limit, like, should there be a limit? You know, cause we talk about shall not be infringed and, a buddy and I, he, he works for uh, DEA, and he, we were talking one day and talking about guns, very like, you know, competitive shooter, very, very pro gun and stuff, and very, very um, in the camp of, um, you know, absolute when it comes to Second Amendment. And we were talking, and I, I asked him, I don't know if he asked me or I asked him, but the question of where do you draw the line? Like, so, okay let's imagine a hypothetical scenario with something like the infinity gauntlet. Let's imagine the infinity gauntlet where you snap your finger and everyone's dead or half the population is dead. Right. If that's a possibility, you know, should someone be able to own that? And I said, no. And then you back it up a little bit. Okay. What about a nuke? Should someone be able to own a nuke? No, I don't think so. And so it got me thinking of where do you draw the line exactly? Because like you have this continuum of arms between 
hands and fists here and then the infinity gauntlet here and you have a continuum between that of you know knives swords you know all the way up to machine guns and missiles or whatever so i sort of think like well where do you draw the line you have to draw the line somewhere because otherwise you're just an absolutist and you're just you're an extremist right and i don't you know there are very few times i like to be an absolutist one is when it comes to abortion, I'm an absolutist on abortion, but that's another <laughs> topic. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm very pro-life. So the uh, the topic of where you draw the line, I draw the line at what a modern infantry soldier or police officer is issued. Hmm. And the reason I draw the line there is because I justified it with a philosophy that I call a combat vote or a martial vote, however you want to say it. And the idea of this combat vote is based in the principles of a civil vote. So with a civil vote, when you go vote at the, at the booth, your vote is proportional and counts for one person. You know, it doesn't count for 10 or 12 people, depending on what party you're voting for, but <laughs> it's supposed to count for one person. So I thought of the same way with, with a combat vote. You know, that, that situation, civility is broken down. So you are imposing your will in another form. And I believe that what a infantryman or a police officer is issued is an appropriate level of um, representation in combat. So when we have like missiles and, and, and fighter jets and stuff like that in war, yes, we have like a pilot flying that plane. But oftentimes those missiles and bombs are dropped after numerous people have cleared it. So if someone's, you have a team like on a target, like lasering a target. They confirm like that's the correct target. It's not just a pilot mm-hmm. flying around dropping bombs unilaterally. Right. And, you know, if a captain's going to launch a missile off a ship, like they've they've gone through a process and there's a hierarchy there. Not only that, but those people have built up a reputation of, of experience and training that have put them in that position. And even the president, you know, the president has authority to use a nuclear weapon. However, we have all voted to and, and a portion of us through our, our uh, electoral college is determined that that person is authorized to be in that position. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's again, it's it, that person only has that power because it has been granted to him by, by someone or him or her by someone else. Interesting. So, I mean, obviously these are things that you've thought about. These are things that you have considered. It sounds like you've considered them prayerfully. So the stereotype of a gun nut that, you know, <laughs> isn't thinking through kind of the repercussions of taking something too far. And like you said, being an absolutist or extremist, you, you've thought this through. And it sounds to me like you've thought about what's a responsible way to view the issue of gun ownership and it sounds like these are issues. Well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like these are issues people really, you know, no matter which side of this they fall, they need to be thinking seriously about. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, well, and, go ahead. Go ahead. What? No, you first. <laughs> so, okay. So the, um, and when you talk about, you know, each side, it, it's funny because we have such a um, political myopia in this country when it comes to, you know, the four year, four year election cycle. Yeah. You know, we, when it's our guy in off in office, when, and I say us and our guy, like I'm talking, you know, just in generalities here. Right. 
we're, we're okay with you know all the executive orders and uh, as long as we agree with them. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to the other guy in office, it's like, oh no, we don't we don't like that. So it's you know we have this myopia when it comes to like not perceiving that what our guy might be doing now could be taken advantage of by the other guy down the road. Mm. Point in case, the Patriot Act. You know, the Patriot right. Act was a prime example where you had conservatives supporting this complete violation of the Constitution because we wanted to catch terrorists. And now look at the type of society we live in. Now, this may have happened regardless, but it certainly paved the way for that. Hmm. Yeah. And so and you have people that claiming Trump was a tyrant and he was going to, you know, be, you know, Hitler or something like that. It's like, oh, OK, so you think Trump's a tyrant and you think the government should have our guns? How does that work out? Hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're saying. So just from even just the, the moral principle of the issue, the fact that someone would say, hey, you know what, we should trust all of the, um, you know, peacekeeping duties to the government, the government should have more power. And you're saying, okay, (laughs) what kind of a slippery slope would that lead if we completely disarm the public and give all the power to the government? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, obviously, because you and I are people of faith, uh, this issue is not solely informed by um, politics and views regarding the Constitution and things like that. Um, and, I'll, and I'll say this, by the way, too. We have a lot of listeners that are not American. We have a lot of listeners from the UK and Canada and other parts of the world. And so um, I'd like to speak to that in just mm-hmm. a moment, and we'll kind of talk about that from that. But from a biblical standpoint, um, I sent you a couple of verses, and I'd like to kind of just dive in. Um, these are verses that anytime you start talking about gun ownership, self-defense and Christianity, it seems like you've got to wrestle with a couple of verses and you've got to look at them honestly. And, and, you know, to be honest, there's a significant amount of different interpretations and disagreements on each of these. And like I said earlier, I've got a, a buddy that, you know, posted on the Facebook for our page when I, posted some of this stuff and I'm probably going to end up talking to him and hearing his interpretation, but I'm really just interested tonight to, to hear, you know, as someone who is pro gun ownership as someone who, you know, sees that as a reasonable and viable tool for self-defense, um, how you see these verses. So first one I yeah. sent you is Exodus 22, two. And this says, if a thief is sound breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. So talk to me about what that means and what you see. Yeah. So I I think this is an example where scripture establishes a precedent for the use of deadly force during, you know, defending yourself against a burglary. I think it's important that it says here, if a thief is found breaking in, because right there it's already disqualifying, you know, the thief broke in two hours ago Hmm. and you found out that that was the thief. So now I'm going to shoot you and kill you because you know that it it disqualifies that it's saying it's immediate. Like he has the means opportunity to cause you harm right then, Uh, you know, means opportunity motive to cause you harm right then. And Hmm. so I think that's, it's, it's justifying the use of deadly force in that, in that instance. It's sort of like a, um, 
it's, it's sort of like a, you know, how some castle, castle doctrines are established. Like if someone's sure. breaking into your house, like you have a right to defend yourself. And so I think that that scripture, I believe, supports that right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I agree with you on that. Um, kind of seems pretty black and white. This is a law from the book of Exodus for the people of Israel that says somebody's breaking into your house and you defend yourself and that person dies. It's not considered mm-hmm. murder. You were defending yourself and your property. So mm-hmm. to me, that seems fairly obvious. I'm, I'm sure others might disagree with that. But um, well, uh, there's also this very interesting one. And I have heard <laughs> a slew of interpretations yeah. about Luke 22, 36. Yeah. Uh, and this is, of course, on the night Jesus is betrayed and arrested, he's saying to his disciples, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing, but he said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag, take it. And likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it's enough. So, a lot of commentators will say, hey, Jesus is saying, I'm leaving. I'm about to go to the cross, die. I'll be resurrected, but then I'll ascend into heaven. And then you're going to be sent out without my protection, without my presence. You need to be prepared. And part of the preparation is you can have a sword. Mm-hmm. So what do you make of this passage? Yeah, I think that I've heard a few interpretations of it. Mm-hmm. one that leans more towards, oh no, it's not talking about self-defense is like, well, a sword was just a tool back then. You know, they used it for all kinds of things. It mm. was a cutting instrument, you know, it was a, uh, was it uh, like slicing bread or something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess. But <laughs> maybe, you know, prepared animal for sacrifice. you know, well, I guess they would prefer sacrifice after that point. But, um, yeah. but so, yeah, I think, but then I, I, I think that's kind of a, a, a stretch. I think, the sword, yes, it had many uses, but I think that this scripture supports the practice of carrying a gun for self-defense or carrying a weapon for self-defense. You know, obviously now mm, we have, we have sure. guns, but I think it was a weapon that they were carrying and they could use it for self-defense. Now to, you know, as, as far as why he said, you know, two's enough, I don't know. I, don't, I, I have no way to yeah. interpret what uh, yeah, there's- the reason is for that. One one commentator, uh, I think, said that when the guy says, look, Lord, here are two swords, and Jesus says it's enough, what he's basically saying is, hey, we're not talking about this anymore. Like, that, this, I've already spoken to this. Here's, and he's, look at my swords, Jesus, yeah. right? And he's like, okay, that's enough, right? We're not. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hear from other people about different interpretations of this. One interpretation is, where Jesus says, I tell you, the scripture must be fulfilled in me. He was numbered with the transgressors that in the context, Jesus is arrested. And when he's arrested, um, the people show up with torches and clubs and all these things. And and they're there thinking that the disciples are like a band of transgressors, right? They're a band of hoodlums. And so Jesus is saying, have a sword. So you're going to look like a hoodlum when they show up. Right. Mm. Which, uh, that just kind of seems like, I don't really know. I don't really know if that fits as nice and neatly as some might say it does. Now the, uh, the Marine part of me wants to interpret the, 
two as we used to say, two is one, one is none, as in like, you know, carry a backup. Because if you have two, then you have a backup. But if you have one, it's going to fail. So oh, maybe that's what he was two is one, one is nine. Yeah, that's <laughs> interesting. Huh. Yeah, I love when I get to heaven to find out which disciple was it that bragged about his two swords to Jesus. So yeah, Jesus is like, you're good, buddy. Go ahead. Just put them away. So, well, and then, of course, one of the reasons why that's a very complicated verse in Luke twenty two thirty six is because almost immediately after, when the people show up to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out his sword and he starts to swing and he cuts the ear off of Malchus. And Jesus says, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. That's Matthew 26, 52. Right. So why would Jesus tell Peter to put away his sword if earlier he told the disciples go sell your cloak and buy a sword. So yeah, this is one of those scriptures that I've heard used to defend pacifism and to, to uh, argue against private ownership of firearms. But I think that a broad application of this scripture ignores its context. And what I'm, what I mean by that is, you know, in Matthew 26, Jesus was being arrested, like you said, And it was right after uh, he was betrayed by Judas and the seizure of Jesus, you know, the arrest of Jesus would mark the starting point for him being sacrificed, right? That was like the thing that had to happen for him to be sacrificed in the way that he was sacrificed was he had to be seized first. And so there's a couple things that notes that I wrote down here for this. And, you know, if you, if you think about, Let's say that the disciples were all armed and they were able to defend Jesus and fight off the Roman, you know, fight off the people who were trying to arrest him and like, you know, get him out of the, get him out of the city. Mm-hmm. Well, when's he going to be sacrificed? Right. We're just like essentially kicking the can down the road for right, lack of right, a better right. phrase. So it has to happen at some point and he knows this. So there's that. The other thing is, well, let's say that they drew arms against those soldiers and they all died. Well, mm. now you don't have any disciples after he dies. So yeah. I think both ways are valid. Both ways are valid to look at it. It's like Jesus understood that this had to happen. And it's like, you know, guys, I get it, but this has to go down. So sure. They, sure, sure. you let the process follow through. And the other thing is well, good luck fighting all the Romans. <laughs> because right, you're exactly. all gonna die and there's going to be none of you left to do what you're going to do in Acts. Right. Yeah, in John's gospel, John uses a specific word in the Greek to describe the number of people that came out to arrest Jesus, and a lot of scholars think it could have been in the hundreds, right? I mean, this is a small Mm -hmm. army. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Because, I mean, all through John's gospel, they tried to arrest Jesus many times, and he always evaded arrest. So, I mean, Jesus looking at these 12 who he'd also prophesied not a single one of them is going to be lost and saying to them, Hey, we're not fighting back tonight. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause this is going to be a slaughter if you do. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that is a, you know, a reasonable interpretation of it. Um, so another one that you hear is Matthew five thirty nine. I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him. The other also. So what would you say to someone who says that is a verse that says 
if someone physically harms you or threatens to physically harm you, you are prohibited by the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching of Jesus, from doing anything at all about that. What would you say? I'd say more than anything, this scripture is instructing believers to offer grace to other people and resist the urge to retaliate or seek vengeance. Hmm. I think it's telling us that we should not seek to get even with someone who's harmed us. And I think it also couples well with Matthew later on in Matthew 6, uh, verses 14 and 15, where we're instructed to forgive uh, or else God won't forgive us. So I, I, I don't think it's saying like you can't protect yourself because I think in that same verse, doesn't it talk about if someone sues you that you should basically give them the coat off your back? Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's another extreme example. So, sure. you know, I, I would, it almost begs the question to someone who's would, would claim that this says you can't defend yourself. It's like, okay, well, if you think this tells you you can't defend yourself, then you can't, that means also you can't defend yourself legally. So if someone decides to sue you, you basically just have to surrender be like, all right, here's all my stuff. Here's my house. And in our current, you know, litigious society, like that could be a pretty bad practice. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly does seem in the context that it would be more about retaliation than, than self-defense, mm-hmm. um, especially if you go to the verse before it. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, mm-hmm. don't resist evil, whoever, actually I'm reading this in the KJV, whoever smites thee on thy right cheek. It just sounds better when you say smite. <laughs> <laughs> I will smite, smite thee. Um, no one wants to be smitten. Smitten, Yes. <laughs> And then verse 40, what you're saying, and if any man will sue thee at the law and take away your coat, let him have your cloak also. Whoever will compel you to go with you a mile, go with him too. Um, so it, it certainly does seem that it's like this like tit for tat retaliation. Oh, you did this to me. I'm going to do this to you. You struck me on this side of my head. I'm going to strike you back. Th- this is more about avenging yourself, retaliating, um, someone insults you, you insult them back. Um, self-defense is not the same as being vengeful. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as, you know, you do this to me, I'm going to do this to you. It's it's literally, I, I just want this to stop so that, you know, I have the right to say I'm, I'm going to remove myself from harm's way, but also have the right to protect others who may be in harm's way as right. well. And you have a responsibility in that moment to stop using force when it stopped. Yeah, you know that sure. they tell us as police and all and all people who carry a gun should know this is you're not shooting to kill. You're shooting to stop whatever is happening that is causing you to shoot. So mm-hmm. if someone's coming at you with a knife and you shoot them and they stop coming at you with a knife, then you stop shooting. But if you continue to shoot them, and there have been plenty of incidents where someone has continued past self-defense and it's actually gone the other way where now they're getting charged either aggravated assault or murder because right. it went too far and they went beyond self-defense. Yeah. Hmm. So one would also say there's some indirect references to this topic in scripture. Uh, just the principle in Genesis three that we live in a fallen world. Uh, James four, one through 10 also just speaks of this, that the world has evil in it. And unfortunately, mm-hmm because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we've turned aside from his law. There are people who are bent on causing harm and invoking violence on the people around them. 
right? Yeah. And so yeah, I think we have absolutely have to be prepared to yeah, not only defend our faith, but also defend our lives. Yeah. And, and just like, what does it look like to live in a fallen world full of evil? Like, does that mean that no restraint of evil should take place because we just show everybody <laughs> kind of an enabling type of love? And so, you know what, man, I'm not going to lock my doors at night. Mm-hmm. You want to come steal from me? That's okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. no, absolutely. I believe that this, the passive live and let live approach by, you know, many Christians has paved the way for the evil that we're currently experiencing in the present day. Hmm. I think that, you know, suppressing or concealing our Christian beliefs in the marketplace of ideas is not only, or it is not being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, we're, we're called to be disciples, not to conceal our faith to, you know, Sunday morning and then not share it Monday through Saturday. Um, you know, our silence or refusal to debate and stand up for what's right enables evil to prosper. So, uh, yeah, I think that everything that we're seeing right now is because of that. And, People don't like the slippery slope argument, but it's valid. Yeah. The, the slippery slope of depravity in society is very real, and we're seeing it every single day. You know, we, we were told years ago that if we just redefined marriage, that that's all we needed to do to have to, so that everyone would have equal rights. And now we're redefining what a man and a woman, what, yeah. what a man and a, and a woman is. Sure. So. You know, slippery meat slope. And um, also going back to, you know, Christian pacifists and some of the people I um, encountered in my time at uh, Lipscomb, because David Lipscomb, who founded the university, was a, it's called a Christian anarchist. Hmm. And it's someone who doesn't believe that Christians should have any participation in uh, politics. No voting, no political office, no military service. Yeah, it's, I, I hadn't heard it before until until I got to the school, and um, you know I think that it, those Christian anarchists and other Christians who refuse to vote are refusing to let God's influence flow through them. Hmm. You know, we have uh, I think according to myfaithvotes.com, it's like one in three Christians do not vote on a regular basis, and then. The last I heard, like 30 million Christians aren't even registered to vote. Hmm. So it's just wild to think that, you know, that, that many Christians and, you know, I get it. Like the candidates we have are not perfect. They're never going to be perfect. You know, the whole I don't want to vote for lesser of two evils. You're always voting for lesser of two evils until Jesus runs for office. Hmm. Like even if you ran for office, the person who's saying that, like you're still the lesser of two evils, right. hopefully, but right. you know, it's, it's always going to be that way. So I think that refusing to participate is again, refusing to let God's influence flow through us in that, in that way. Yeah. And, and I would agree with you. I, I think that um, one of the things I really try to remind our congregation is listen, um, our first allegiance is not to this nation. Our first allegiance is not to any politician. It's to King Jesus and his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, however, any nation who is mostly in alignment 
with the law of God and the rule of God, it, that's going to lead to human flourishing, right? I mean, if we really believe that God's law and God's word are good and, and they're righteous, and, and that's what we need because God is the one who wrote that, then why Absolutely. wouldn't we want to um, do what we can as responsible citizens that have the right to vote mm -hmm. according to the things that we see in God's word, right? The principles in the word of God. And, and, and so part of the law is to restrain evil. Um, and so living in a world that's full of evil, we've got to figure out how to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And yeah. man, that's hard right now. It's super hard right now. Um, yeah. To, to speak truth, but also according to first Peter, it, it tells us that we are to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have within us, but always do it with gentleness and respect. Um, yeah. and, and so, man, yeah, it's, this is like <laughs> the tightrope of, of really trying to figure out, man, like how do we right now in an increasingly post-Christian nation live as exiles, but at the same time, no, man, if, if evil just runs rampant, like, that's not good for anybody, right? <laughs> no, no. And I think another important question for people to ask themselves is, and this is for, you know, I'll, I'll say this for conservatives because more often than not, the conservative um, beliefs align with, I believe, align with Christianity more so than other ideologies. But, you know, are you a Christian conservative or a conservative Christian, hmm. right? Like, how often, you know, for we'll say Trump supporters or whatever supporter you are, like how often are you defending your faith and defending Jesus in the public square as opposed to defending Trump or whatever politician you support, right? Right. Like I think that's it really shows where your uh, values are when how much energy you put into that, um, yeah. and, I, and I see that very often, and it. it I fall into this too, like where it's so easy to defend your politics. And sometimes there's some overlap between you know, your politics and your, your faith, but you're, it's, it's easy to come at it from a place of it being your political, political ideology and why you're defending it as opposed to rooting it in your faith. Right. And right, that's, right. you know, the foundation for why you have that political yeah. system. So I think historically, um, if you look at Christianity just over the past 2000 years, uh, there are stances that we have taken over the past 2000 years that a 21st century American would look at and say, Oh man, that's conservative, right? Like historically Christians have always been pro-life all the way back, back to the Roman empire, right? We've always been pro-life. Um, Christians have always been like pro biblical sexuality. And that's always been countercultural. Uh, yes. It, which again, in 21st century America, people say that looks conservative, right? Mm -hmm. But in other ways, historically, Christianity has always been um, a, a group that's always stood up for the marginalized and the poor. It's always mm -hmm. been a group that has been willing to um, like show charity and love to refugee and immigrant mm -hmm. communities. Historically, I'm not talking about, you know, again, when we hear immigration, first thing we think of is, you know, the Mexican border here in the U.S. And stuff. Yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying in, in general, 
if we live out what is considered biblical Christianity faithfully, I think there are going to be times when we sound conservative and there's going to be times when we sound liberal to people mm-hmm. in an exceptionally polarized context. And uh, a mentor of mine used to say, blessed are the truth tellers for both sides shall shoot at you. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> you I felt I- that with, uh, with my video six lies about the AR 15 where I called out both sides. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is even in the issue of gun ownership, I mean, I think that there's a way we got to be honest, like um, the Bible never mentions guns because guns weren't around when the Bible was written. <laughs> but the Bible mentions some principles that we have to be very like careful, very cautious, very prayerful, very responsible to figure out as a follower of Jesus do I view the issue of gun ownership through the lens of what the scriptures say, or am I primarily holding up the U S constitution and saying, this is the lens that's going to decide how I feel about this issue. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I tell people like, if your only defense for why you should be able to own a gun is the quote shall not be infringed. You don't get it. You don't understand why on a, Biblical level or a just purely philosophical level, because you're basing your entire right on what someone else wrote. Mm. Like the founders didn't have shall not be infringed until they wrote it down. Right. Yeah. Well, a couple other indirect uh, scriptures, and then we'll, we'll kind of get into some other yeah. questions with that. First Peter three husbands are told to care for, be considerate of their wives to respect and honor their wives' differences as being female. And I, and I think that carries with it the necessity of husbands in protecting their wives. Um, and so I think somebody could argue for men, like if, if a husband is not doing his duty and failing to protect his wife and his family, then wouldn't he be held morally responsible if he didn't do that, Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I agree with that. Um, I also think this scripture flies in the face of the current trend to villainize masculinity. Mm. Um, you know, this, the culture is constantly attacking boys and men for what it calls toxic masculinity. However, you know, these opponents rarely, if ever define healthy masculinity because Mm. they don't want any masculinity. And, you know, the bottom, bottom line is men and women are different. They're different in many ways. It doesn't mean that one's better than the other. It means that they're different. And we were created in God's image and we were created different for a reason. And um, I think that, well, not I think that, but we know that men are generally stronger than women. So men have an easier time imposing their will on a woman if they want to, because they're, they're physically stronger. So I think that in the same right, you, the man is physically more capable to defend a woman. Now with a firearm, a firearm is also, I believe an equalizer with the proper training and, and mindset. So now you do have situations where a, a woman can defend herself from a man that's more capable than, than she is. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think that uh, I definitely agree that the, the man should take the primary role of protection in the family and determining like, thinking about that and, and strategizing what best practices the family should do to make sure they're protected. Because 
you shouldn't want to, you know, as a, as a protector of your family, you, you shouldn't like want to have a burglar break, break into the house. In sure. The night. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. If yep. you're, if you're fantasizing about that happening for the sake of like actually wanting it to happen, I'm not talking about Being thinking grandpa, about like what yeah. would I do, yeah. but like if you're thinking I want this to happen, like you're, you're in the wrong place, uh-huh. uh, both tactically and spiritually, because um, you should not want that to happen. And you should want your home security system, your early warning, your deterrence to be what prevents that from happening. Right. You want your house to be such a hard target that that never even comes close to happening. And I think that I, I take that responsibility very seriously with our family and um, make sure that you know, the exterior lights are on, make sure the blinds are closed. We have eight security cameras on the outside of the house. We um, I make sure that all of those things are in order so that it prevents it from happening. But then I also have home defense preparations in the very unlikely and unfortunate event that it does happen. And we've mm-hmm. talked about what to do, what you know to do with the kids and what she's going to do and all, all that type of stuff. So, sure. yeah, I think that um, I also think that men are better at compartmentalizing when they think about stuff like that. So in, in this may just be my own experience, but I can think about those things and not get emotionally distressed. Like I can think about what would happen in those situations in, in war game and not get emotionally distressed. But I think, Females sometimes have struggled with that maybe. So I think that when the male takes responsibility in, in planning for what the security measures should be and what the home defense response should be, I think that it uh, relieves the wife of the burden of doing that. And it also provides an environment that now the wife and the children feel more secure in and safe in. And that is the bottom level on uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is that you know hmm. sense of protection. Sure. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you, you're saying that like, that is the most loving thing you can do for your wife and your kids is to be proactive using the means that you have available, including firearms to actually offer that protection mm-hmm. from yes. that. Yeah, man. It sounds like you read a book uh, called committed biblical masculinity. Did you read that book? Super good book, man. Read I, I didn't. <laughs> I, I will. <laughs> Yeah, you can buy it on Amazon. Little plug for uh, <laughs> my book, Committed to Biblical Masculinity. A uh, couple more instances in the scriptures, instances in the Old Testament where people were told to be armed guards to protect the temple or defend themselves. We see that in Nehemiah 4, Esther 8. We also see in Genesis 127, God says he created humanity in his image and likeness. He created them male and female. And so... You know, some might say, well, how can you how can you take a human life? Well, you could turn that around and say, if we consciously choose not to protect human life, however, we are able from those who wish to harm or kill innocent human life. Like, can we really say that we are respecting and honoring the dignity of human life and seeing it as precious? Right. Yeah. And, and I also don't only think this applies to self-defense but I also think it applies to issues like abortion. Yeah, I do not sure. believe someone can claim to be a Christian and support a mother's right, right to kill her unborn baby. I yeah. does not compute. Yep. Yeah. Me too, man. <clears throat> and, and, you know, I think the, the big one you see, um, <clears throat> I read a biography recently of Alvin York. You're a native Tennessee and I'm a native Georgian. So, uh, you probably grew up hearing all about Alvin York, but, uh, 
us us Georgia guys, we had our own heroes. But anyway, um, <laughs> Alvin York, if you don't know, he won the Medal of Honor in World War I. Uh, incredible story. They made a movie about it. But uh, mm-hmm. he was a really wild guy in the hills of Tennessee. He had a powerful <coughs> religious conversion. And then he got drafted to go fight uh, in World War I. And he had a huge problem because Exodus 20.13 says, do not kill. At least that's in his translation mm-hmm. of it, said do not kill. But um, actually, the, the word that's used in the Bible is do not murder. Yep. And so there's a difference between... Was it, does King James say kill? I believe King James says kill. I Let me look. I got my King James pulled up right here. Let's see. Because I remember... Like researching the scripture before and yeah, it says a while ago. Twenty thirteen. Let's see. Thou shalt not kill. Yep. So that's what Alvin York would have read most likely is the King James, yeah. which says thou shalt not kill. And actually, it was a chaplain there in the military that spent several hours with him, reasoning with him from the scriptures and showing him that like, hey, there's like genocide happening in Europe. And Mm -hmm. you taking up arms to stop the injustice and the violence that's happening through this enemy force is actually you doing good. It's not you murdering. Um, So the difference between killing and murdering is murdering is the intentional premeditated killing of another person with malice behind it. But in the exact same law that one would say says do not kill, things like accidental killing – Nexus 21, mm-hmm. killing performed in self-defense, Nexus 22, or killing performed in an attempt to save the life of an innocent person. And we have examples of that in Genesis 14 and other places. Um, the Bible seems to indicate that's not murder. And and so, um, again, we're getting into what, what some would call, and this isn't a biblical term, but this is what many theologians in church history going really far back would say. There's, there's the just war theory. Yeah, familiar. Yeah. So I, I think that's compelling, at least. Um, mm-hmm. That it's not, it's not something we should be chomping at the bits to want to see someone's life ended, but... No, I, yeah, absolutely not. So kind of landing the plane, um, let's speak to this for a second. Some of our listeners don't live in the U.S. Um, they may live in nations where owning a firearm as a private citizen is either entirely restricted or it's uh you know really difficult to do so is this thing called the right to bear arms is that a god-given right and so it's therefore justified for these believers to break the law of their nation in order to carry a firearm what do you say i'm interested to hear your response yeah so like I think I said earlier that I do believe it is a God-given right. And I believe that the right to self-defense as it, as I interpreted in the Bible, there's no limits on what you can use for self-defense, what type of weapon you can use, be it a club, a knife, a gun, whatever, uh, pepper spray. Um, people who live in areas, either jurisdictions in the U S where they have really restrictive gun laws or, or abroad, um, for one, I'm, I'm going to say, I, I can't tell you what to do in terms of legally. Um, I, I wouldn't, uh, imagine telling you what to do in terms like breaking the law or whatever. 
or, or, you know, or whatever. But um, I will say that if you're living in a society, you're either your micro society or whatever society you're living in that does not believe in your God given right to self-defense, then you might want to ask yourself whether or not you want to live in that society. And I, and I know that's just, a, that's a very simple and boiled down answer. And there's a lot yeah. of complexity to that. It's like not everyone can just pack up and move. Um, but some can. And I think that if you can, you should really consider that. Um, I also go back to having firearms isn't the uh, end all be all. So having medical training and equipment, you can carry a tourniquet pretty much everywhere. I carry a tourniquet and a medical kit on an airplane with me. I can't carry my guns on an airplane with me. Um, I transport them in check baggage, but I can't carry them in the cabin. And those are things that I can use after an incident. Maybe I can find something else to defend myself or others with, but yeah, having medical training and equipment. And um, again, I can't, I can't advise on uh, whether or not you should, Follow your, your laws. <laughs> well, yeah. So I think what I heard you say is you believe that self-defense is a God-given right. But, you know, yes. the question is, is, it, is owning a firearm a God-given right? And I think the scripture would say, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist mm-hmm. have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So mm-hmm. as far as I interpret Romans 13, 1 and 2 to mean, if you live in a nation where it is against the law for you to own a firearm, for you to say, no, I'm going to own a firearm because I want to defend myself, well, that's against the law, so I can't own a jet plane to defend myself with a, a nuke in it, Right. So mm-hmm. like you said, there's limits that the law has established. So I would say that like, I think we do have the God-given um, right to defend ourselves, but I think it only has to be under the jurisdiction of the laws of the government that God has put over us in whatever nation he's assigned for us to live in. What do you think about that? Yeah, so uh, first thing that comes to mind with that is the American Revolution. Okay. And whether or not that was that was just um, that was a just war biblically speaking because you know they were being told to do certain things by the British that they did not agree with and they decided to revolt um, they, they believed that it was their they believed that it was their God-given right to revolt in that situation and so I think it's I don't think it's black and white where, you say, or where you can say, well, because the government said that I have to do this, therefore I have to do this. I think there are situations where you have to determine, okay, yes, the government does have, does have to make laws because we are a society and a society does have to have, you know, certain social agreements and laws in order for that society to function. And we have to have we have, we have to have certain regulations, for example, like Mm -hmm. if we didn't have regulations, We'd have bridges collapsing. We'd have buildings collapsing. You know, there are certain things that have to happen in society for it to be safe. And at the end of the day, yes, you are going to give up some liberties for that. But then there's other liberties where I think they, and I think this is uh, uh, the the way they set up the Bill of Rights, you know, it's freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. Um, At what point do you allow the government to tell you, well, no, Actually, your freedom of speech and freedom of religion 
is no longer valid. So now, you know, you, you can't practice your religion anymore. Well, it's like, okay, so do you go by what the scripture says and, you know, ob- obey the government or do you right. resist the government and practice your religion anyway? So I think it's yeah. the, kind of the same thing. Now, guns, it's a little bit different, um, sure. but I, I do think that uh, we've seen throughout history that when citizens are disarmed or citizens are unarmed, they are they are much easier to tyrannize by whoever wants to do it. And so regardless of what, you know, your stance is on the Ukraine situation, we, we see that, you know, you have Ukraine citizens fighting and uh, taking up arms against the Russians. Now the Russians aren't the government, what I'm just using an example of like it, it, there is value in having an armed citizenry for the now and for the future. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a good question, though, to, to bring up, of like, at what point do you say, no, this government is no longer making decisions that are things that I'm compelled to go along with? Yeah, because I, it's, I, yeah I, th- I think, you know, if we go back to the book of Acts, when the governing authorities told the believers, you shall not speak this name of Jesus anymore. And they gathered together and said, we have to obey God rather than men, right? Mm-hmm. So there's God's law and there's man's law. And where man's law contradicts God's law, we as Christians are compelled to follow God's law, right? Mm-hmm. So if any governing authority comes in and says, sorry, you can't preach the name of Jesus, you can't live out your Christian faith, okay, well, God said that I have to do this, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think the crux is, does God say we have to have a sword, right? Um, if God says we have to have a sword, then we have to have a sword. But does God say we have to have a sword or does God permit us under the laws of the nation that he's assigned us to own one and to defend ourselves? I think that's really the crux of the question. Uh, yeah. And again, yeah. it's there's a lot of nuance there too. So, Because <laughs> we're both Americans. We both live in the South, which is the hotbed of conservatism. Um. And so I think just thinking about this from like a global perspective, I lived in South Korea for six months and I would tell some of my Korean friends who were Christians and loved Jesus about gun ownership in America. And they, I mean, it's like their jaw would drop to the floor. (laughs) They couldn't believe it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely is one, I think, where we have to almost be aware of our, I don't want to use the word bias, but just we have this lens that we wear as Americans sometimes where we sometimes don't think about this globally maybe as much as we should um, or even historically, you know, for mm-hmm. 2,000 years, what have, what have Christians said about these kinds of things? But Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's amazing when you think about um, the fact that when you're reading Scripture, you are, you know, if you, if you travel somewhere present day, like you travel, travel to Egypt present day, like there are, like you were talking about, there's so many customs and courtesies that are just like, they don't even make sense. Like they yeah. don't even compute. The sure. Universe will be on a different planet. And then same thing. If you travel in back in, if you travel back in time where you are now, same thing, like there are just customs and courtesies that just would not make sense. Now travel back in time. And then also to a completely different geographical part of the world. Sure. And it's like, Man, like when you, 
that's yeah, why we have to be so careful when we read scripture is just to understand that, you know, we may be reading this through a lens that wasn't even close to the lens that they had when they were writing this. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Well, Taylor, dude, it's been awesome talking with you, man. We've opened up a massive. Yeah, this has been fantastic. I, lo- I loved it. Yeah, we've opened up a massive can of worms that uh, is awesome. It's amazing. It's creepy crawling everywhere. But uh, I have fun with that. I've been dealing with it since I made the channel. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I for real appreciate. I think you are very thoughtful. You're very prayerful. I think you're very intentional. And I think you're what what I hear in you, and I see your heart is you want to equip people to own a gun responsibly to see it as a tool to save lives, not as a instrument to end lives needlessly. needlessly. Are you there? I'm here. Yeah. I was just complimenting you. Hello. Can you hear my compliments? Did you hear my, me complimenting you? I, I, I didn't hear that. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say it again. You'll have to go back and listen to it. On your own, so. I'm sure it was very generous. It was very generous. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, so where can people find you on the YouTubes and on the internet? Yeah, so if they just go to YouTube and type in Defenders and Disciples, uh, it'll pop up. And uh, I also have a website, DefendersAndDisciples.com. I have Instagram, Defenders and Disciples. And uh, yeah, I try to post content on the YouTube channel about once a month, once every two months, depending on my schedule. Uh, But yeah, just... That's where you can find me. <laughs> there you go. Hit that like and subscribe button. So, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Taylor, appreciate it, man. And thank you guys for listening. If you have questions, and I'm sure you will, you can send them to beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. Next time, hopefully, uh, we will have Gabe back. So it'll be fun to talk to Gabe and hear his thoughts on all this stuff. So thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.